Let's go. Introducing Mickey Bresman, CEO and co-founder at Semperis, a leading active directory security firm. How are you, mate? I'm good, you? Yeah, yeah, good, good. First time in Hoboken for me. So uh, we're now in headquarters, right, New Jersey. So uh, how long has this been home for you? Uh, Hoboken has been home for about seven, eight years now. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. And were you in Israel last week? Have you just got back? I was actually on a tour, so I was in France, started okay. there, from there at some point jumped to Israel as well, it was kind of going, we have a lot of activity across Europe in general, yep. so we have, as we discussed before, uh, we have people in the UK, France, Italy, Germany, all over different locations yeah, in Europe, um, so I quite often find myself Traveling. taking a plane and yeah. yeah, yeah, love it, love it. Well, look, before we get into the fun stuff about St. Paris, can you uh, just give the audience an idea of who you are and how you got into the industry? Sure. So I've been in the industry well, for uh, more than 20 years now, to be honest. Um, I started my career back in the Navy. Um, I did my uh, practical engineering degree before that. Um, in the Navy, I was more on the networking side of things. Okay. Um, from there, a consultancy gig. From there, a financial institution for about seven years. Although originally was planned to be there for six months, but that's a different story. Um, then started my first company, in which I was actually the CEO. Um, my background is technical, so. Um, and then at some point, when the idea of Sampras came along, then basically sold the we sold the company. And, uh, and then how that's how Sampras came to be. Okay, cool, cool. So there was an exit at the previous firm. It was not not something that I would be gloriously yeah, taking, yeah. and you know, but uh, yes, it was a good outcome. Yeah, yeah, not not your first rodeo then. Love it. No. So um, when did the inspiration for Sampras? When did you sort of get the thoughts about okay, let's maybe try something new? So it didn't happen that way. I was not looking to try something new. Reality-wise is that, as I mentioned, I had this professional services company before that, or consultancy professional services, depends on, on the day. And we were serving enterprise customers. We had, I don't know, about 50 of those. And pretty much all of them had the same challenges to some degree. The cloud was just starting. This is 2011, 2012. So the, the cloud was relatively new, I would, I would say. Um, Office 365 just showed up. I was one of the first people on the partner side to be certified with uh, Office 365. Azure AD was not a thing yet, it did not exist, which is interesting to think about. Um, what happened was is, is that one of our customers, the telco company, they basically, from my perspective, what happened is that we get a call together with Microsoft, the customer is down, nothing is working, no invoicing, no billing, can't figure out why. Um, what happened with them was is that their AD stopped responding. And that was for me kind of the first time that, that I saw a real AD disaster recovery. Because until that moment, I, the idea of AD going down was not something that people thought about. It was just always up and running. It's kind of like electricity, right? It's, it's there. You don't think, why would it not be there? Um, so we got involved, recovered AD together with Microsoft. The thing is up and running. And I want to say, uh, eight hours later, give or take, it goes down again. So that was another aha moment where we realized that it, that's actually malicious activity. Mm -hmm. um, again, think about 2012, give or take. This is before ransomware. This is before like attacks on identity being a common thing. Yeah. Um, in their case, it ended up being an inside job. There was somebody that, that was let go, was not really happy. 
And that was another realization point for me on how easy it is actually to take AD down, technically speaking, um, if you know what you're doing, of course. Yeah. And he knew. Um, so we got them back up and running. But then less than six months after that case, one of our customers, a huge financial institution, goes through a BCP test, business continuity yeah. planning. And part of that, they need to recover AD and they bring a Microsoft engineer to work with them on that and they fail, just can't recover AD at all. To be more precise, they were working it for about five days. Yeah. They said, if it's not up and running after five days, we can't keep going. And then I had this thinking, I was surprised. It was all of my customers had AD as the backbone for their identity story, all of them. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, if that's the case, I bet you that most of them will not be able to recover AD. So that was kind of the starting point of understanding that here is a problem that we need to try and solve. Yeah, yeah, because AD is obviously not a new thing, but how would you describe AD security? For sure. And, and I, I have this joke now that I'm jokingly saying that Sambris is one of those companies that manage somehow to be too early and too late to the market at the same time. Because you're absolutely right. AD has been around since... Well, depends how you want to look at it, but let's say 2000. Mm. Um, and I think the challenge was, maybe it's a step back. If you think about 2000, right, virtualization is not yet really a thing. Cloud is definitely not a thing. Working remotely partially exists, or very partially, I would say, but not really a thing. Mobile devices is not really, like it's a completely different set of challenges that people had. And I also kind of remind people that we did not hear about ransomware, I think, until like for full-blown until 2017, I would say, with, with NotPetya, although WannaCry was probably a bit before that, but way after AD was introduced. Um, so the concerns about AD security were very different, and, and AD resiliency was a very different approach. Now, also today we say AD, but if you think about for most companies now, it's hybrid. So it's going to be AD, Android AD, maybe Okta is in the mix as well. Again, very new type of an, of, of an environment. Um, and I think it, it, the first major wave of, of a wake-up call was probably NotPetya. Yeah. NotPetya was a major wake-up call, I would say, for two main reasons. One, it actually took advantage of AD to spread to some degree. But more importantly, it showed what happens if AD goes down. Um, I think that the US federal government estimated the damages of, of that attack being about 10 billion. Start, yeah. Now, if you think about it, it wasn't even a targeted attack. It was kind of a mistake <laughs> to some degree, right? Um, and I believe that Maersk is, is probably the most yeah. discussed story, where they, they spent about 10 days, according to their CISO, recovering their AD environment. Think about 10 days, you can't recover anything else, because everything else is dependent on AD. That can also explain why it took them about 30 days to get back to a full recovery. Mm -hmm. And about those 10 days, they actually were extremely lucky. The story goes that completely by chance, they had one of the machines that is running AD called the DC that was disconnected from the network because something went wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that what allowed them it, with this heroic story of, of somebody flying from one part of the world, meeting somebody midway, flying to the other part of the world to bring you this copy that is now the golden um, source that they will be using to recover it. So things definitely have changed a lot. Um, and at the core of it, the general thinking behind Sampras today is that 
we are the only platform out there that basically covers the pre, during, and post attack for AD and enter AD, so, so in this hybrid view. And we're recently also starting to expand into Okta following yeah. the multiple breaches that were in the news in the last 60 months. Timely, yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's not timely, it's actually came the other way around. We had multiple customers that we have started to reach out to us and say, hey, we need you to look at Okta as well because we use Okta and yeah. we need the same capabilities. So we, we heard them and we started to expansion there as well. Yeah, so when you, so obviously you identified the, the problem and then spun up Sempris. How how things, so is we seven years, eight years in now? How, how, how long have you been running? Uh, depends how you want to look at it. I think, again, because I had the, the company before yeah. and then we sold it. I think what we officially landed on is, is 2015 being kind of the launch date. Uh, it's all actually also tied to the time of when the previous company was sold and I became a full-time employee. Uh, of, it's a bit funny to say full-time employee. Full-time focusing on, on the story of Sempris is probably makes uh, a better story. Um, so things changed a lot. I think 2016, when we were starting our initial road to market, all of my meetings, I used to spend about a third of the meeting explaining why it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Why do you need to think about AD resiliency? Why do you need to think a cyber-first approach to your recovery? Fast forward after NotPetya, so I think 2018, 2019, um, roughly speaking, everything changed like overnight. There was no longer discussion of why do you even need to think about it. It was mainly of, okay, how can you improve what we have today? Is very different, and if you think about the story of Sempres, we experienced a crazy growth rate, uh, or at least for me, it, it felt like crazy. Because mm -hmm. just to give you some sense, January of 2020, Sempres worldwide, we were about 30 35 people. Here we are in January of, of um, February now, well, yeah. of, of 2024, and the company is about 400. So it, it's, I don't know. It's been quite a ride. Yeah, it still absolutely. is. Yeah, so I saw there was actually fastest growing company awards, and it yeah. seemed, I was looking on the website. It's just accolade after accolade. Like uh, there was one recently, which was the uh, the Fortune 60 cyber companies that you mm -hmm. was also uh, on, and I saw you had quoted about you should never take your customers' trust for granted. Do you remember saying something like that? Um, makes sense. Yeah. Um, there are a few things that I said over the years that that are all. Sometimes I'm, I'm jokingly would say I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but yeah, maybe yeah. it's not. You know how sometimes you need to hear something, although you it's obvious. Me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. In 2019, I believe it was, or 18, there was something in the US called the Pledge of the Cities. And what that was basically, you had 2,000 and something cities across the US coming together and saying, we're not going to pay ransomware. And then I had somebody from the media reaching out to me and asking if I want to make a comment. And I said, sure, here's my comment. I very much think that that's exactly what people should be doing. You should not be paying ransomware. But you can't just say, I'm not going to pay ransomware and be done with it. It actually, what you need to do is you need to have a backup and recovery solution that you can trust. It needs to be something that you've tested. It needs to be something that when something really goes wrong, you know what to do. Because otherwise, the statement of I'm not going to be paying ransomware is just a statement. So if you want it to be more than that, you really need to have an alternative. Simple quote, straightforward, haven't said anything outrageous, right? 
over the next week or so, I, I, I was getting about two calls a day from different media outlets asking me if I can elaborate about what I said. And I was saying to all of them the exact same thing. Yeah. There is not much to elaborate. If you want to not pay ransomware, have a solution in place. So, yeah, sometimes it's, it's kind of stating the obvious. On the, um, on the trust of our customers, look, in Sampras, we, we have, and I know that this is and often heard of, but pretty much no other company can claim the same. We have close to 100% of customer retention rate. Okay. Um, so meaning over the last six years from the time, it's more now, over the last seven years from the time that we started the go-to-market, um, we almost have all of the same customers, uh, new ones of course, um, staying with the company. Okay. Now my thinking is always that the offering that we have at Sampras is a combination of the best of breed products, which is great, but it's also the people and the approach that we take. And in many cases, what I always remind our customers is that you're not getting just the product from Sampras. You're getting the product, but you also get the support. You also get the partner. And if you think about when would you be calling Sampras, when would you need us? Um, of course, there is the pre, the preparation stage and so on, but you're really going to need us with something really goes bad and we tend to be involved in the worst case scenarios so a company have been breached somebody now owns the entire environment and basically you're fighting to get control over the environment or maybe it's the next stage which is the worst scenario where you're already been encrypted end to end um, and for many organizations it's kind of the end game like we've been encrypted we've lost for Sampras it's actually a starting point so we're very used to getting involved in those situation where it's like the worst case scenario and, and what do we do now? And that I think to me is what I mean by saying a trust of the customer. Yeah. What's driven the growth? Because I saw that there was, um, I think Microsoft put it out that like there's 95 million attacks a day on AD. Yep. What's driven the, the growth for you specifically? It's a good question. I think it's a combination of several different things. Maybe as a step back, let's think about why are there whatever number mm. of attacks on AD, Azure AD, and Okta now. And there is this joke of why people rob banks, and the answer is because that's where the money is. And I think the same thing applies here. Um, I think identity can, the way that we suggest to use it, can be used in order to protect the organization, and I would even say to enable the business. And one of the things that, that we pay attention to in Sampras, and, and I think we are uniquely positioned to do so, is this focus between the security story, the infrastructure story, and the business story around identity. And I believe that you can't really do any one of those in, in the silo. You need to have all of those. But then, from the uh, bad actor perspective, if I can get a hold of your identity store, then that's it. I own your organization. Um, one of the Gartner's analysts put it in an interesting way. He basically told me that this whole notion of zero trust is, is very popular and, of course, a very important one. But if I own your identity, I don't see the segmentation anymore. I can actually do whatever I want in your company. I can move. I don't see the networking barriers that you put in front of me. Um, and I think the bad guys understand it completely as well. So that's why we see such a high level of attacks now against the identity stores. And I think it will also, over time, will only increase. Because, again, once I own your identity, I own everything. The other thing is, is that the way that companies operate have changed completely. 
I would say over the last five years and even more so over the last four years or so, referring to COVID, um, where working remotely became the standard. I don't think there are any companies yeah. that don't do that anymore. Um, allowing people to use their mobile devices. It also became the standard. I mean, people use those all the time now as well. Think about yourself right now, right? Um, you probably will be sitting later in the evening at the hotel in mm. New York, I'm going to guess. Yeah, yeah. And you'll be using potentially a mobile device and be looking at your cell phone or something like that. So all of a sudden, there is no network perimeter because the network yeah. hotel is not yours. The device is not necessarily have any amazing protection on it. Hopefully you have some, but it's yeah. not that good. Uh, most companies don't have an EDR on the, on the uh, mobile device. And you're going to be using somebody else's infrastructure, aka cloud. Um, so what is that you're left with? You're left with the story of the identity, yeah. the resources that you're trying to access, and the access permissions, can you, should you, and yeah. so on. So that's, I think, what basically made identity so critical. And by the way, in the same time that we got the, the uh, Fortune 60 mm -hmm. best companies, or yeah. uh, don't remember the exact name of what it was called, something else caught my attention. At the same time, at, at the same article or the same acknowledgement, they also provided a survey that they've done with 200 CISOs of large enterprises worldwide. And they basically was ask, were asking them, what is your highest priority for 2024? And the answer was identity. Yeah, and I think I believe it's it. For the exact same reason. Yeah. What about, you mentioned earlier people. So I saw you'd also had like best place to work, I think for the last two, three years running. How have you cultivated and is that a culture like can you tell us a little bit more about that sure i think culture is at the end of the day for, for most companies culture and people and one comes with the other is the biggest asset that you're going to have mm -hmm. right we're not a real estate company we don't really have buildings as assets or something like that our assets is our people um and it takes a lot of work especially in a company like ours because everything changes every year like if you think about how do you manage culture when you're a company of 30 people, how do it when you become 100, 200, 300 and so on, it, it, it's very different. Because at the stage of, of when you are 30 something people, I knew all of my employees yeah. uh, by name, I knew a lot about their uh, private That's life, true. I knew about like their kids, uh, pets in some cases. Yeah can't really do it when you cross the 400 just <laughs> it's impossible yeah it just really can't so i try but it's not really uh, possible yeah. uh, especially when when you have like 30 new employees starting yeah. starting in the same month yeah it's really hard but what you really want to try and do is to make sure that from the people that are your mid uh, level management um and actually all the management functions in the company you want to try and distill the same culture that you had at the beginning, where it's funny, the way that we used to describe our, our culture is, is um, being advised by HR that it's no longer acceptable. Um, so I think the way that we describe it is being nice to each other. That's kind of the best way to put it. And the way that we actually, it's interesting, but we have this notion of being a force for good in the company that started somewhere in the mid of 2020 and the, the initial force for good idea was it started with one of our partners that called us and um, 
The partner was saying at the time we did not provide incident response services, we were only a product company. And he called me and said, I have the situation, my customer, who is not a customer of yours, has been breached. And the attacker have a hold of AD, we can't figure out how they do it, we can't figure out where it's coming from, and the company is really struggling. It's a big uh, multinational company, uh, from what I recall, about 30,000 employees. And he asked me, he said, I know that you have the knowledge of how to deal with those situations. Now, I also know that it's not something that you do, but would you be willing to help? I said, sure. Now, it, this partner is a very big company. So he says, oh, but we don't have a professional services agreement because you were not supposed to be doing professional services. I said, don't worry about it. Let's just do it and we'll figure it out later on. He says, great. And I assigned to three people, I'm sorry, to start working with them, uh, two in the U.S., one in Europe because the company is also globally distributed. And I think like five minutes later, I get a call from his manager and saying, thank you so much for working with us, but we don't have an agreement in place. How are we going to do it? I told him, don't worry about it. Let's help the customer. Let's get them up and running. And we'll worry about it in a later stage. Skipping a few, a few steps in the story there, eventually we were able to get um, the customer to an operating stage. There was it's actually a listing story. They were bridged by one of the... Um, government-sponsored groups, uh, not a friendly government, as you can imagine. Um, and it was an interesting experience for us to see actually how it go um, and what, what was happening in that situation. And um, I think maybe two days later, I get a call from one of my sales uh, managers that's saying, I just heard about what we did with that company. We have another partner that just called me. They're in a similar situation. Do you think that we can talk to them and see how we can help? I'm saying, sure, I get on the call with this partner, same story again, we don't have professional services, can you help? I'm like, yeah, we're going to help, and then we'll figure out everything else later on, don't worry about it. And then we basically decided that our force for good notion is going to be that we always will be first looking to help, and only then asking questions. So even if you don't have an agreement in place, don't worry about it, we're going to solve your problem. And we also provide the tools for free. So we can use the tools 90 days for free, to help you um, get to the point where you're up and running. Now, don't get me wrong, if you don't have my backup and recovery offering before you've been encrypted, recovering you is going to be a challenge. Yeah. But I'll, I'll be able to at least help you with the knowledge of, of what to do. Um, and then, <laughs> it's funny, my salespeople were not super excited about the idea of, of first help them yeah, ask yeah. questions. But to be honest, very quickly, we've, we've seen that, that actually most of the companies that we helped became customers, because you see now in action what it will look like when you actually have the problem. So now salespeople are very much behind it as well. The next thing that happened is that we had employees that asked to start and do the activities of being a force for good towards their communities. I don't know if you've seen it on our website or not, but one of the initiatives that I'm very excited about is that we have this initiative for several years now where we're helping basically kids that have uh, vision challenges to understand the surface of the moon, to understand the, the different stars and so on, that they can't really see. Yeah. Like if I tell you the surface of the moon, I'm sure that you have this image in your mind yeah, of yeah. what it looks like. Now imagine that you've never seen it. So one of our employees actually created um, a model of the moon and other stars as well, which allows those kids to basically touch it and get the understanding of how it looks like. 
Um, and one day he reached out and said, I need some volunteers that can, maybe somebody can come with me and help to do that for one of those uh, uh, schools. And many of the people volunteered. And that's basically how this notion started. It expanded, I think, we've just, in 2023, we had a mutual program together with uh, NASA, where we basically spotted some of those kids to be able to Amazing. get there. Um, our employee was attending and, and helping and instructing them. It was, it's really, on the, on the emotional level, it's, yeah, it's yeah. really... Um, so that basically how the Force for Good expanded outside of the company. Love um, it was, let's go and clean a forest, let's go. There's different things that, that we do in different places worldwide, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, which is very exciting. And then somebody else in the company suggested to have this notion of being a force for good towards oneself, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And one of the initiatives there that I really like, if you think about most of our days, especially if you work remotely, yeah. right? So you're sitting at, at, at the house. Your commute was probably five minutes. Out the garden, yeah. <laughs> Something like that, right? And you can easily find yourself sitting in front of the computer for the entire day. So the idea of being a force for good towards yourself is that if you have a meeting in which you are mostly going to be listening, you don't need to say anything, why don't you just take your phone, take your headphones, and go for a walk, and just listen in for 30 minutes I was having, it's funny, I had this kind of interview, uh, I want to say about two years ago, and I was telling that there were two people on, on the, it was a, a virtual mm -hmm. one, there were two people on, on the interview, and, um, and I told them about this idea, like if you don't have anything that you need to say, why don't you just go, and literally one of them, <laughs> as soon as, as I said it, we, we, he kind of got his things and <laughs> get out of the house, because he was more on the listening side. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of those yeah. different initiatives, and I think that all, all of it to say is that this is a lot of the things that we are intentionally doing mm -hmm. in order to try and keep the same culture that we had when we were a company of, of 30, and trying to keep basically the same notion um, as well. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, just about companies reaching out when maybe stuff's gone wrong. What sort of practical advice could you probably give prior to stuff going wrong that they can maybe look at and and do for sure so I think the preparation stage is super critical right the last thing that you want is kind of trying to, to figure out what to do when everything is on fire um, I think at least the way that we approach it we, we have the, this notion of the pre-attack stage I would say two three main things make sure that you have something that allows you to find vulnerabilities in the environment before somebody else does because uh, they will be taking advantage of those. Make sure that you also have a, a single language, like uh, maybe using the MITRE attack or the ANSI, depends where you are yeah. in the world. But, maybe, but have a language that allows everybody to understand what is it that they're seeing and how to classify that. So basically find the misconfigurations and, and close those gaps before somebody takes advantage. Jumping all the way to what happens in the worst case scenario, make sure that you have the understanding of what to do in those situations. So make sure that you have a plan in place. You'll be surprised how many of the times that we were brought in into an incident situation and the company is down, it's the worst, right? You start working on something, then it turns out that the company doesn't really know who's responsible for what. Or they assume that David is going to be doing a certain activity, but David was assuming that John is doing yeah. that activity, so that is not being done. 
they are not sure what is their agreement with the cyber insurance company that they leverage. They are not sure what's their agreement SLA-wise and similar with some of their vendors. Who are my vendors? Management-wise, if my manager being Mike, that's supposed to approve a certain activity, let's say that he's in the Bahamas at that time and he's not available, what are we going to do? Do we know who do we call next? All of those things that you want to know ahead of time and you definitely want to give it a try, you definitely want to test those. I would even recommend at least once a year. Some of our customers are doing it twice or four times a year as well. Just because I think we're living in this new environment where it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So if you know that that's your reality, make sure that you're ready. Because if you've been hit with something like a ransomware as an example, but you can bounce back in a matter of hours, then it's an unpleasant event, but it's not going to be devastating. Now, the same story, but now it takes you a month to recover. That can be devastating. What's the future for St. Paris? What's the future for St. Paris mm. is a very good question. Uh, with the company that is growing as fast as we are, I believe that the answer is also changing on, on an <laughs> annual basis. Um, the way that we are now operating the company, we are basically building the company to be IPO ready. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know and I'm not trying to predict when is the right window and how the macro environment is going to look like. There's a lot of different questions that, that of what needs to happen. But all of the activities that we're distilling in the company now on how we operate, how we look at things, the operational readiness and things like that. The Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please like and share with your friends and colleagues as this is really important for the show's reach. If you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website www.aspronsearch.com.